This is Take Flight with Mark Whittle. I'm Mark Whittle, former city worker turned performance coach, and this is your place for inspiration and education on ways to optimise your performance. Thanks for choosing to Take Flight. Jimmy, welcome to the Take Flight podcast. Thanks for having me. Welcome to America. <laughs> welcome to Austin, Texas. I'm glad this worked out. Me too, mate. I was worried for a second. Oh, dude, I know. Things things pop up. We got to uh, we got to head to Las Vegas tomorrow for yeah. a Seven Eleven trade show. Uh, but glad we able to we were able to squeeze it in. That's what we do, man. You you hit me up. You're like, hey, I got a window. Let's let's make it happen. Hundred percent, mate. We we're talking about it on the way over here, like the flexibility that you need as someone who's trying to make something happen. Like you can't always expect stuff to happen exactly as it's planned out. So yeah, you you said you're traveling and plans are changed. And thanks for accommodating today. Man, my pleasure. I'm, I'm excited to get into it, learn more about you and, and cover wherever you want to cover. Yeah. All right. Awesome, man. So a mutual friend. Yes. I don't know how much of a friend for okay. you, but okay. a mutual friend nonetheless. Hugh Thomas. Oh man. Ugly Hugh. I call him handsome Hugh. <laughs> <laughs> how well do you know him? Uh, I know I know Hugh fairly well. It's a small industry, and and I mean, coming up in the trade shows, Hugh and I built our businesses in New York City. Um, for those of you who don't know, Hugh is the founder of Ugly Water, Ugly Drinks, and he's not doing that anymore. But he is a passionate entrepreneur, man, uh, savvy uh, British British guy, just like you. But found his way to to make it in the states, which is awesome. Yeah, listen, man, uh, Hugh was the very first episode of this podcast. No kidding, five years ago. Last week was the uh, anniversary. Dude, we got to get him back on. A lot, a lot's changed in his life. We got to hear what he's working on yeah, now. He, do, he doesn't let me talk, so that's why I've not asked him back. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah Hugh's like one of my brother's best friends. So it was his wedding last year. So no I kidding. saw him for the stag do. I saw him for the, or like the bachelor party, whatever you guys cool. call it, and uh, the wedding and stuff. So uh, I told him I was coming to see you. He was buzzing about it. Let's go. Yeah, he's he's a good dude. Good dude. And and like I said, he made some some serious traction in beverage. But um, just another example of how fast the world changed yeah. these last couple of years that Ugly Drinks isn't even around anymore. It's uh, it's a shame, but he's like such an awesome guy. Whatever he does is going to work. So yeah, no, he'll, he'll get something it from it. Yeah. Listen, man, we're saying just before we clicked record, like I love what you guys are creating. It's uh, it's amazing to watch. I know you were saying you got some challenges that will we'll jump into but just firstly just congrats on everything dude thank you no we're uh we're humbled every day um i think when we started super coffee almost eight years ago now my youngest brother's dorm room we always had big aspirations but looking at where we're at today it's tough to imagine how you get there you know and and i mean we always wanted to have a big company big employees big offices available in every store in the u.s and we're well on our way to that but how you get from a dorm room to there, there's no playbook for that. So it's definitely intimidating. Um, I think we, we go th- by a couple mottos, small wins daily, you know, and, and uh, just quotes we've heard, like, how do you move a mountain one stone at a time, you know, one foot in front of the other. And I think if you do those little things right every day, it compounds year after year. You do it for nearly a decade and, and you'll be proud of the results. Well, you, I mean, I come in and I see this, right? You talk to me about the dorm room, but I see the basketball court, the offices upstairs, the glass like windows, and it all looks unreal. But of course, it's a journey together. Dude, totally, totally. Yeah, no, and, and we're still the same guys we were back then. You know, I think the, the challenge is like, once you achieve an objective or a milestone, the goalposts keep getting further and further away just as possibilities become, uh, the, what, what is possible becomes greater and greater every year. Uh, and it's overwhelming, but it's also humbling. You know, you're, we're never, you're never an expert. I think you're, you're always learning something new, especially with how fast 
the world is evolving, right? That a couple of years ago, there was no pandemic, right? There was no TikTok, there were, were no NFTs, Web3, like whatever it is, we have to evolve with our consumers. And that's one thing we say at Super Coffee is like, as consumers, as human beings, we all have evolved these last 10 years. Like we've had no choice but to adapt to technology and our coffee should too. You know, the days of drinking coffee with milk and sugar, those are no longer cut it. We need more from our, our bottled coffee. So sick, man. Before we talk about the challenges and the things that like you're facing at the minute, you said like, no, still not profitable. I, f I find that fascinating. Like, I would for sure want to hear more about that. But this podcast is called Take Flight. Yeah. And a big piece of that is the leap of faith. So we, we dive into like the details of like what that leap of faith looked like. Sometimes it's just the next step. Sometimes it feels a bit bigger. And a lot of that is around like the conception of an idea. Yeah. So you're saying it's from the, the dorm and it was your youngest brother, right? That's right. Who had the idea. So what was your part in that? Like, how did you experience the idea from him? And then the follow-up, once you've added that, like, is what was the thing that made you leap into Super Coffee? Yeah, so Jordan was always a passionate, sort of obsessively passionate kid. You know, he would get onto something, whether it was PlayStation 2, he'd play for hours at a time, you know, until he mastered Madden and NBA 2K and MLB The Show. Uh, and when we were even younger than that, he would play wiffle ball in the backyard for hours, just throwing the ball up to himself, imagining that he was Derek Jeter in the World Series, hitting a walk-off home run. Uh, and then in high school, it became basketball. And he would skip, skip class to go shoot free throws at the YMCA. Like, truly obsessive mentality. And he was the starting point guard his freshman year in college, uh, full scholarship kid, all-conference all player. And heading into his sophomore season, he decided to drop out of school to pursue this coffee that he was making in his dorm room. And when I saw that his obsession shifted from sports, from basketball to entrepreneurship, I knew that there was no convincing him otherwise. So I was like, look, man, none of us know anything about the beverage industry. Our mom works at the YMCA. Our dad is a construction worker. Like there's nothing strategic about us quitting school, quitting jobs to start this company. That said, I'm your big brother. Let me help you get started. I'll, I'll do this for a couple months and make sure that like you get off in the right direction. Uh, and then I'll go figure out what I'm gonna do next. And seven and a half years later, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he decided or the idea came because he was into basketball at the time. He was an athlete basically. Yeah, sorry. So he, uh, he didn't wanna drink a Starbucks Frappuccino. That's the number one bottle of coffee in America back then and still today. It's 45 grams of sugar, 300 calories per bottle. There was no bottled coffee on, on shelf in the grocery stores or the gas stations that gave him the energy he needed. It tasted good, was good yeah. for him, none of that. So he just started brewing a concoction in his dorm room and, and what, it, what the recipe turned into was what we call super coffee. Uh, and the, the core tenets still stay true today. You know, zero sugar, 10 grams of protein, 200 milligrams of caffeine, uh, low calorie, the whole, the whole deal. So uh, that's how we got going here. That's amazing, man. So, okay, like, I love that. That's, that's so good to hear. And when it's born out of like something that you care about that affects your life, it's like a different conversation, right? So what was your part then? So he had the idea, he's doing this anyway, he's making it himself. And then you came in and you offered your services yourself or he pitched it to you? A little bit of both. I think he was like, hey man, we, if you want to join, because my, my middle brother, Jake, was helping Jordan the summer before they dro he dropped out. Uh, they got into like a accelerator program at Georgetown University where Jake was playing football. So it was like a, a startup accelerator where 
professors and entrepreneurs and residents would provide resources and advice and stuff. So they were working on it together and they said, hey man, if you want to come join us, we'd love to have you. Uh, so I thought about it and I think it was really naive optimism that allowed us to take flight, if you will, or make that leap of faith uh, because we didn't know how difficult this was going to be. And had we known, we probably wouldn't have done it. You know, I think that, that it's that naivety or that optimism that is what allows us to run through the, the barriers. Yeah. It's so good. Do you know uh, Mikey Taylor, ex-pro skateboarder? Yeah, I know, I know the name, yeah. Yeah, uh, I recorded with him out in California and he said the same thing. His lager company with P-Rod, the other skateboarder, oh, yeah. was St. Archer. Uh-huh. Right, it's said exactly the same thing. I think they made like 25 million from that over eight years. And he said, we would never do it if we knew how hard it was going to be. Yeah. But like, I don't know what it is that allows you other than, other than not knowing how hard it's going to be ahead of time. But how, how you, what, what do you do with that? Yeah, I think once you start, I mean, we're problem solvers, right? And you face problems every day. How are we going to solve these problems? You know, what solutions can we find? Who can we reach out to to coach us up? I think there was a, a unique vulnerability at the time. I was 22, Jordan was 19, Jake was 21. You know, we were super young and we weren't afraid to ask for help. We, we still aren't, you know, we obviously didn't have all of the answers. We didn't have any of the answers for this industry. So we reached out to people who came before us and found success. Guys like Seth Goldman, who started Honest Tea, Mike Rapoli, who's the founder of Body Armor and Vitamin Water, uh, Ben Weiss, who started By Brand. So I think people saw their 22-year-old sel- selves in us, you know, and and they threw an arm around us pretty pretty quickly and and very generously. You know, they weren't they weren't charging us equity or things like that. They were saying, "Here's the mistakes that I'd avoid and and the opportunities that I'd pursue." And it was it was quick. It wasn't like everyday mentoring calls. It was. 30 minutes once every six months, they say, here's what you gotta go do. And then we'd go do it. And when we would report back to them on our progress, they would be so happy and relieved that we were heading in the right direction or we were putting action behind their words that they found value in continuing to coach us. So um, that's really the story of the last seven and a half years of like finding the right people to solve problems, to solve solutions. And that's how you build the network of the, we have over a hundred employees today. We have over 200 investors. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's a lot of people, it's a lot to manage, but uh, we've been grateful for for all the connections we've made. Uh, Body Armor, like with, that yeah, was with Kobe Bryant, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. Here's a strange one, right? Cause I have a lot of thoughts on mentorship and coaching as a coach myself totally. anyway. Uh, and you know, nearly all of my clients are entrepreneurs on the journey you, you're on. What was it about you guys that they liked that, that was why they were prepared to give their time because like not everyone would do that. I think the our background as athletes, college athletes was encouraging, you know, they to to play a division 1 sport requires a certain level of commitment, teamwork, talent, dedication, hard work, all those things and and those are very transferable skills to any endeavor that you're going to take on and I think the only thing we knew about the beverage industry back then is that it was very difficult, you know, and honestly manual labor, your willing this thing into existence every day, mm-hmm. making product by hand, stocking shelves, making deliveries, doing doing all the work and the advisors saw that hustle and they said if we can refine this, if we can optimize this, we got a we got a fighting chance here because you can teach you can teach the skills, you can't teach the effort. Yeah, so they saw like the traits of being an athlete and knew that would transfer to business. I think so. That's all we knew, right? Yeah. We, we were athletes our whole lives up until that point. So we really approached building this business as a, a competitive event. Yeah. What I love about you guys is I, it's endearing that it's three brothers on a journey together. Yeah. There's also some sort of like a fascination or a curiosity with you guys, which uh, 
it's quite hard to articulate, but like, I'm just very interested to follow how the journey goes for you guys. I don't know, I don't know if you feel that in yourselves. Yeah, I mean, we get that question a lot, right? What's it like working with your brothers? I could never work with my brothers, I'd kill them. You know, yeah. my brothers and I are very different, all kinds of feedback from siblings. We were super lucky to be able to do it together. I don't want to say we take it for granted, but we don't know any other way. You know, like this is this is how it is. I couldn't imagine doing this without those two, right? Or, or in they, they'd say the same thing. Um, so we got very lucky in that we were all aligned on pursuing this endeavor together. And even though we're all so close in age, we grew up playing sports, we grew up in the same household, same friend groups, things like that. We are very different personalities. And it wasn't until we got started in the company that we got to realize what was different about each other. And that was great because we, if we were all trying to be the CEO working on the same things, we would have killed each other. Jake is a great sales guy. You know, he's the happy go lucky life of the party. He can be friends with anybody. Jordan is the more intentional, quiet tinkerer. He's the innovator. He's the, the operations guy. I'm more of like the, the marketing leader, the finance leader that, that can make the connections and, and, uh, manage the investor relations, which was a critical part of our journey every year up until now. So we each brought a unique dimension to the business. And I think that's what's allowed it to work so far. As an older sibling myself as well, right? I'm interested to know where you see your responsibility, not just as, a, as one of the founders, but as an older brother. It's a good question, man. I think our natural family dynamics definitely play out in the roles we have here. Uh, I just read a great book, you gotta read it. It's called The Birth Order Book. And it explains why firstborns behave the way, the way they do, why the middle child behaves. And wow. it's me to a T, you know, like wow. our, our parents put more pressure on us because we are the first child where like they were learning, they were making mistakes raising us because it was their first time ever doing it. We got all of their attention because we were the only thing they had, you know, and, and there was a living up to that pressure. You, uh, you're oftentimes a high achiever, right? You're oftentimes a perfectionist. You're oftentimes, uh, you don't want to let people down. Um, so a lot of those traits that play out in our family dynamics also play out at, at Super Coffee, which has led to, uh, or lent itself well to the roles that we've assumed over the last eight years. That's so interesting, man. So fascinating. I, love I could talk about that stuff all day, mate. Totally. It's, uh, I've, I've got a daughter, she's two and a half. Oh, nice. Um, and I've got a son due in the summer. Awesome, man, so, congrats. Yeah, thank you. So, but I think about it a lot, right? I'm yeah. seeing this, this little girl coming up in this world thinking like, I, I, I'm a coach, so I overanalyze a lot of stuff. Totally, <laughs> so I'm like, totally. what is this tiny little thing gonna mean for her in 20 years or right. whatever the thing is? So I have to read that book. What was it called again? It's called The Birth Order Book. Easy one to remember. Yeah. I'm interested as well to know, like from a business perspective, what is it that you guys, like where do you draw the line with one another? Because you've got your family dynamics. Has there been arguments? Like, are you okay to, do you like impart boundaries with one another? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I think, so there's no line between business and life just because it's all so intertwined, not in a workaholic way, but like this is a lifestyle. You know, we, we live together, we work out together, we go on vacations together, you know. Uh, so we, we definitely stay close on, on all topics. I think being what, what we got good at early in our careers was giving constructive feedback, transparent feedback, stuff that you wouldn't normally sit down and give to a brother, right? But when your brother's your business partner, it's almost your duty or your obligation to give that feedback. Because uh, at home, things things are emotional, you know, like playing one-on-one -on -one hoops in the backyard, like there was fights, there was challenges, there was, you cheated, you like 
cussing the whole deal. Uh, but in business, it doesn't, it's not helpful to point fingers or to have any type of passive aggressive feelings toward one another. So we've gotten pretty good. I don't want to say comfortable, but pretty good at giving and receiving constructive feedback. And, and if Jake or Jordan were to sit me down and say, Hey, here's what I'm seeing from you, or here's what I'm noticing, or here's how you're coming off. Um, it still makes me feel uncomfortable, but I know they're coming from a place that uh, wants to make me better and, and the company better. Like you've done it enough time that you've built the evidence that shows you why you should listen. Yeah, exactly. And right. I, I mean, we call it the, the communication wheel. We have a coach as well, and, and he taught us this, like you share the data, right? Here's what I'm seeing. You can't argue with, you can't argue with what I'm seeing, right? It's how we interpret it that may be different. Uh, here's how it makes me feel. You know, when you behave that way, it makes me feel anxious or sad or angry or, or uh, nervous, you know, and, and here's what I'd like to do about it together. You know, so like you really just hit each other with this wheel of how is somebody landing on you and what can we do to change it going forward to be more productive for everybody? Awesome, man. Yeah. Love that, love that. Is there one of you that's better th at that than others? I think Jordan is probably the most intentional. Okay. You know, he, Jake and I are a bit more impulsive, intuitive. Uh, it's not that Jordan's not intuitive. He's just very methodical. Mm -hmm. You know, he, if he reads a book, he applies those lessons from the book. You know, he's the guy that fills out the agenda before every meeting. He's the guy that has his entire calendar blocked out every day for every minute, you know, which is interesting. Like as a, the, the baby of the family or the youngest child, some of those traits and tendencies are a little bit out of character. Uh, so, I mean, it's so fascinating. I think how you're, how you're raised, like how you're, the parents influence on, on you as well, um, definitely plays, plays a role in that. So it's not the, the birth order book, like those principles don't always apply to every situation, but the, the principles are usually generally right. It's almost sounds like you were meant to work with one another. I mean, yeah. obviously it's the way that you're viewing it and you're portraying it like that, but right. like, it sounds like your every trait almost is like complementing one another and you were like almost destined to do business together. Totally, totally, man. And, and I mean, like I said, I couldn't imagine not doing business together. Mm. Maybe that's because we've done this together for so long. No, we work, we work well together. I think the package deal to your point is a bit more compelling. You know, it's certainly, we get, I remember we, we went on Shark Tank five years ago now, five years ago this week. And Barbara was like, look guys, I've, I don't, I'm nervous about making investments in, in beverage entrepreneurs because it's so hard but here I get three for the price of one. And there's real value in that. And in, in meaning that like, if one of us is having a bad day or if one of us is, is not feeling optimistic about the future, there's two of us that are gonna pick them up, you know? And, and that's, uh, that's rare that a lot of founders don't have built in. Yeah, man, I feel that I work by myself and have like contractors or third parties, right? But the goal this year is to have people full-time. Yeah. And like the first point of call is a PA, but then after that it's, essentially like a co-founder. Yeah. And man, I'm telling you, I'm going to pitch my brother. Dude. For sure. He has his to. own goals, aspirations and businesses. But like, I told him we went for a run the other day. I was like, man, I'm giving you a proposal at the end of this year. Dude. Yeah. I love it. I love it, man. I think my only guidance there would be, be very clear on roles and responsibilities. You know, if you're going to be if it's going to be your thing and he's going to be helping you be very clear about that. If you're going to be 50, 50 partners, be clear about that. You know, I think where it gets, where it gets wonky is if one of us is, or if one of you guys is in the spotlight more than the other, right? Like even right now down here doing a podcast one-on-one -on -one with you, like feels kind of weird not to have my brothers next to me. We do, we do one-on-one -on -one podcasts all the time, but Jake's up there on business calls, yeah. probably looking down on us. Like, what's Jim doing down there? You know, why, why, why is he messing around? In I, the said, uh, I said, I'm just going to go and do a podcast with Jim. And he was like, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he meant it too. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice, man. Thanks. Anything else? 
Oh man, I'll have, I'll have a lot more. Um, I think this is a quote that sort of applies, but we suffer more in imagination than we do in reality, right? So this plan that you're going to lay out and present to your brother, is going to be very different than once you actually get executing against Mm. it. So don't get too caught up on building a perfect plan. I think sell him on a vision, sell him on where you want it to go together, but how you get there is going to be a hundred percent different than how you think you're going to get there. Mm. That's so good, man. So you mean as in like, have the vision of an outcome that you want, but also be open to that. It's not going to happen like that at all. Yeah. (laughs) And this might be a firstborn thing or like a natural sort of leader thing is we want to, to see how we're going to get there, right? We want to lay out the steps. We want the plan to be a perfect plan or, or a damn close perf- to, to perfect plan. Um, and it never works out that way, right? Like when we, every year we build our budget, the only thing we know for sure is that we're going to miss it. Whether we beat it or fall short, we don't know, you know? So I, I, I think don't, get, don't paralyze yourself in building a perfect plan. Uh, pitch him on something. And if he has questions, then you can go back and refine it. Uh, but once you get to executing, that's when really the, the vision comes to life. Yeah, mate, amazing. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll hit you up when I'm Dude, please do. <laughs> please do. I love this stuff. One more just like on the family dynamic. Like, yeah. how, how do your parents feel about it? Uh, they're our biggest fans, man. They, uh, they're, they had us all at a young age. So my mom had three kids by the time she was 24 years old. And, and uh, they both played sports in college, mom and dad. So they, they were our coaches growing up, you know, but whether formally on, on teams or just in the backyard, running, lifting, working out, doing the whole deal. And we definitely get our competitive spirit from them. We get our compassion from them as well. But they, in the early days, they were down to help. They were down to give advice. You know, like the mom would be in the factory with us late at night, mopping the floors. Dad would be filling up the bottles with, uh, with the really pouring super coffee into bottles from a beer pitcher. Like that's how we used to make these things. So like they were always down to help. But it got to a certain point when the business got so big that it was unrecognizable to them. You know, they, they entered sort of this uncharted territory. So like all they could do was love and cheer and root for us rather than like coach us through tough business decisions. Mate, it's so good. I bet they're super proud. I can only imagine like now being a dad, like they're still super young, but I bet it's unreal for them. I want to talk a little bit about like you mentioned Shark, Shark Tank, yes. which in the UK we call it, it's called Dragon's Den, but it's like the same thing. Yeah, And it might not be that I'm projecting, but like what were the biggest tipping points in the journey because it's like you said you had no idea about beverage at all right um so you were learning on the go you're like it's the the quote it's like you either build this i can't remember exactly like you build the ship in the harbor and then you go or you build it on the way out yeah there wasn't any one thing you know shark tank was definitely a big one it felt more of like a sort of coming out party to the u.s of introducing our brand to a large number of of people at scale uh so that that was great for the business. And, and any of these things are what you make them, meaning not everybody's gonna see that episode of us on, on Shark Tank, but when we find a way to weave it into the sales story or to tell customers, I mean, I was pouring samples at Costco on Saturday, just two days ago, right down the street, and I would show people the back of the bottle and I'd be like, oh, me and my brother started this, we were on Shark Tank, and it makes me uncomfortable to say that, but it means so much to them. Their faces glow up. You know, it immediately changes the dynamic of that conversation. Um, so I think it'd be wasteful for me not to drop that in there when, I, when it's appropriate. Shark Tank was a good one. Um, and then little things along the way. We got into this chain in up, upstate New York called Wegmans in the Northeast, about 100 stores. We got into it in 2017. And it's an influential retailer, high end, uh, spans from New York to Boston, down to Virginia. 
and really a, a strong demographic. It's a regional player, so it doesn't compete nationally. And because it was only 100 stores, it was small enough for us to wrap our arms around and really make an impact on revenue. So once we got into those 100 stores, we serviced every single one of them. It was us and a couple friends from college pouring samples, making deliveries, building displays. The data got so good at Wegmans. At one point, we were 41% of Wegmans bottled coffee sales, which is crazy. We were the highest selling brand in Wegmans. So we took that data to HEB, a chain down here in Texas, and Meyer, a chain up in the Midwest, and Publix, a chain down in Florida. And we said, look at what we're doing at Wegmans, guys. We could come do the same thing in your store. So I think Wegmans was that true case study we needed to, to really introduce the brand uh, and, and get some wins under our belt. And then different investors along the way. You never know when you're going to find somebody who unlocks an opportunity or unlocks potential for you, but it all compounds, you know, and there's no there's no playbook on how you get from one to the other. I think showing up and putting in the work, good things do happen. Like that's how you create opportunities for yourself. Do they feel like tipping points in the moment? Um, what's funny is the things that feel the most like tipping points in the moment turn out not to be, oh. <laughs> you know? So there's, here's a funny story that you'll appreciate. So uh, back in 2017, we moved from DC, Washington DC up to New York City. And the only reason we did we work, the, the co-working office company, they had uh, a new concept called We Live. It was uh, basically fully furnished apartments, kind of felt like dorm room living for adults, kind of high end, right down on Wall Street in the financial district. And the CFO at the time of WeWork was a guy named Artie Minson. Artie graduated from Georgetown, uh, big time guy. You know, he used to be the C CFO of Time Warner Cable, real deal. Jake, a Georgetown grad, got a meeting with Artie drove up to New York City. The goal was to get reduced rent living in We Live. So Jake's pitching already. He's like, already I went to Georgetown. I started this in the business school. We're doing great and in some accounts. We just got into Wegmans, yada, yada. Halfway through that meeting, a guy with long hair, no shoes, walks in wearing a t-shirt. Jake's like, who the hell is this kid interrupting my meeting with the CFO of WeWork? And so Jake just keeps pitching, trying to stay on his game. And 15 minutes in, the guy interrupts Jake and says, look, I love your story. I love your guys' energy. I'm going to let you live in my buildings for free. I'm going to let you work in my buildings for free. And I'm going to give you $100,000 to go grow your company. Now, please get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> and it was Adam Newman, the founder of WeWork. No way. Yeah, yeah. So he was walking around barefoot. Yeah, walking around barefoot. God no only way. knows what, what he was on. But uh, <laughs> that's, I mean, we, at the time we were like, oh my God, we made it. Adam Newman is giving us free rent. We're going up to New York City to take over. Like this is, what more could we ask for, you know? Uh, so, and it, it turned out to be a great opportunity, right? It put us in yeah. New York. You ha New York is a critical market for food and beverage. There's so many accounts, yeah. there's so many people. Um, so we had to win New York and that is what got us into the city. But ultimately the partnership with WeWork was not a tipping point. So good, man. Yeah. So I love that story, mate. I could just imagine like in your mind, you're like, fuck this guy is in charge of my meeting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jake was so upset. He was like doing his thing, pitching yeah. the CFO. How rude. Yeah, how rude. Totally. There's a concept I use a lot of my clients, which is um, following the breadcrumbs. So like, it sounds like what that led to was a really obvious breadcrumb to pick up, which was moving to New York. Yeah. Yeah. We say nobody's ever gotten lucky sitting on the couch, right? So that led us to New York. In New York, we were pouring samples at a grocery store. We met people who ended up investing in the company while we were pouring samples. Like we didn't go to the grocery store to find investors. We went to the grocery store to pour samples and sell coffee. And it led to another breadcrumb that led to another breadcrumb. You know, it, it really snowballs from 
from there, you know, the bread, the breadcrumbs stack up. Yeah, yeah so good. And uh, you got obviously listen out for that, right? You got you build awareness to when the breadcrumbs there because sometimes it's a quieter, it's more subtle breadcrumb, right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. Hammering that metaphor. Yeah, no, <laughs> keep it going. Yeah, I got a quick one on investing. I'm asking this very specifically for I had a. Uh, coaching call with a client who's b back in the UK this morning property developer he's now trying to find investment like doesn't know where to look at all like kind of we loosely built a persona of what that person would be is private investing so it's basically just a high net worth individual who might be passionate about property development you don't need to know the context too much but like how would you advise anyone including this guy on how to seek investment it's a tough one. It's the number one question we get from young entrepreneurs, from any entrepreneurs, like, hey, can you introduce me to your investors? Where do I look? Who do they, I reach out want, to? They want intros. Yeah, yeah, just because we've had public success of raising money. You know, there's, it's been covered in news stories and things like that. Every time you raise a round, there's a big headline about it. Um, but everybody's story is different. Everybody's story and journey is unique. There is no playbook, right? There, what's worked for me might be different than your client. Um, my advice is to take money from whoever's willing to give it to you in the early stages with the exception of like, they need to be morally a good human, you know, and, and ethically somebody that you can spend time with and, and respect. Uh, but they don't need to be experts on the space. They don't need to uh, have connect strategic connections or relationships. If all you need is money and you have the plan to go execute, you don't need somebody that's strategic in the early days. And what we found, we've never taken money from a traditional food and beverage investor, somebody who makes a living investing in food and beverage companies because they put so much scrutiny on the business. They know how hard it is, you know? So they they bet against entrepreneurs because they it's it's so difficult. Like they know too much. They know too much. Yeah. They know too much. And I mean maybe they're maybe they're right, but I think that negativity and pessimism never leads to to good creation. Yeah. I know? might like kill the naivety we spoke about, which is so important at the beginning, right? Right. Yeah. Right, exactly. And and I think uh, they're not wrong, you know, it's hard, it's difficult, like most businesses fail, all those things, but we know that, you know, you, we don't need somebody to remind us that. Yeah. We want somebody who sees the vision or at least half of the vision and mm -hmm. is willing to, to bet that we'll get there. That's you know? interesting, man. It's like a, it's a different energy, isn't it? Different energy. Like the, yeah. um, I don't know if I want to say, it's not entitlement, but it's like, we know more than you, like figure your shit out versus we are supporting you, get on with it, we believe in you. Yeah, yeah, and it's not, I mean, Basically, the, a lot of the people who passed on us in the early days are like, hey, you guys proved me wrong, you know, congrats. Mm. And I still wouldn't have invested back then because what you did is so unlikely and so uncommon and, and so so rare. Uh, so I think it's a smart way of investing. Like you're really investing based on probabilities and, and data of just the facts, you know, of how hard it is to, to do this. Um, so yeah, I mean, somebody who, anybody who's high net worth, that's willing to, to take a, a gamble. Because that's the thing, companies like us in the early stages and even your, your, your buddy's real estate venture, um, they, there's a big return for investors. You know, they're not gonna make the five to 10% that they make throwing it into fixed income funds. You know, like they can make 10 times their money back or more. You know, we've had investors that have cashed out at over a hundred times their money at our, our last round. So, I mean, really cool opportunities, um, but you gotta, you got to hit it all right. You know, everything kind of has to work out in order for you to get to that point. Can I ask about how like, um, I did a podcast with a guy called Ed Milet. Are you familiar with oh, him? Oh yeah. Yeah. And he talked about the, the metaphor was a thermometer or a thermostat. Yeah. Is where like, you know, your understanding of yourself and where you are shifts as you grow. 
So if we talk about that from a financial perspective, like you guys were in your dorm room in college, like probably poor, had no money. Yeah. Right? And then you're then like not too long after that, you're dealing with like millions conversations and you're talking about like millions of dollars. Like how was that shift for you in your mind of, I suppose, worth and value and how you started to like come around to the idea that that's the that level you're talking about? Yeah. Man, it's a weird lens, right? Because a million dollars is a lot of money to anybody, right? And, and if I had a million dollars in my personal bank account, which I don't, like if I, if I did, I would feel like a billionaire. You know, that would be life-changing. I wouldn't know how to spend it, you know? Whereas at Super Coffee, we go through a million dollars a week ordering production runs of products, you know, paying marketing dollars, yeah. paying distributors, and it's the cost of doing business at scale. But you see what I mean? Like that perspective is totally different of personal and, and business. And it's not that it doesn't feel like a lot or a big responsibility. It's just the price of poker, you know? So, I mean, where, where, where it becomes dangerous for companies that raise a lot of money is like, it's easy to say yes to a $10,000 marketing activation there or a $20,000 email newsletter sponsorship or a $15,000 influencer deal. And when you have 20, 30, $50 million in the bank because you just raised a big round, those things are inco inconsequential, but those things add up, right? And if you're not being disciplined with return on ad spend, return on investment, uh, are these dollars working hard for you? That's where burn really happens. What's like the biggest partnership deal you've done or like, have you, have you worked with like influencers and stuff? Yeah, so we've, we've approached this two different ways. So we've raised money from some of the world's biggest celebrities, Jennifer Lopez, Alex Rodriguez, hmm. uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger, like some really cool people have written checks into the business, uh, but those weren't endorsement deals. So like they have zero obligation to star in a television commercial or go on billboards and stuff. In some cases they do, we'll work out like equity deals where, where we can use their name, image, and likeness on marketing materials. Um, and then in terms of paying people to promote the product, we haven't done many big deals. Um, there's a, a, a good friend of ours who's quite famous. His name's Devin Levake. You, you might know him. He's the guy who bear crawled the New York City Marathon. Devin's one of my best friends in the world. And, and we, uh, we've really built up our friendship over the last five years. Uh, he's got 600, almost 700,000 followers on Instagram. And his followers are rampant. They are loyal. They f do his workouts. They buy his supplements. They, they listen to him. They want to be like him. They want to hang out with him. Yeah. And Devin's the real deal. He's motivating. He's inspiring. But he's a name that you wouldn't recognize. It's not Devin and Jennifer Lopez are two very different types yeah. of, of figures. So I think if you can find the Devins of the world, those are the types of people worth investing in. Was he a friend first? He was a friend first. Um, he was actually starting how, how we got to know each other and I'll never forgive him for this. He was a, a personal trainer at Performix House in New York City, uh, and he was starting a meal delivery kit company called Don't Be a Pig. And a, a mutual friend or investor connected us, and Devin's like, hey man, I want, I want your advice on how to raise money for this don't, don't Be a Pig venture that I'm working on. Come to Performix, I'll put you through a workout, and we'll, we'll talk business. His only goal in that workout was to make me throw up <laughs> and he succeeded. Like really? I was sprinting on the treadmill. I was pushing sleds. I was bear crawling. It was like 8 a.m. You know, I just got off a red eye flight from Los Angeles and I was throwing up. And, and that's how our, our partnership began. And, and friends first. And uh, he and I, we were 50-50 we're partners on a ranch here in Texas that we, we host events at, wellness weekends, retreats. Um, we're, we're talking to each other a couple times a day. 
Amazing, man. I know all about that. I want to ask you about that later. Oh, yeah. Sick. Um, just a quick one. I find it interesting that you compartmentalize the personal and the business finance. It's, it's interesting. I had a chat with a friend of mine recently who wondering how much I can disclose, but it's basically where it's like a marketing agency. Uh, work with some casinos and stuff. So there was uh, an opportunity to go into like a raffle with a fairly high chance of, of winning, right? Um, and it was like 50,000 or something. And I was like, why would I do that? Like, yeah, it'd be nice, but it's gonna, it's gonna blur my vision of money. It will shift the way that I can behave over the next 12 months based off of being given something for nothing. Totally. Like, if I'm not putting any effort into it, it will change my definition of what that means. Like, do you, do you know, see what I mean? Totally, man. And I struggle with this too, because you drive down the highways here in Texas and you see Powerball 700 yeah. million. And like, if I'm in the gas station and Powerball 700 million, like it's tempting to put $3 down and buy a ticket, yeah. right? Because imagine all of the opportunities you can create and unlock with that. You know, you wouldn't need any more investors. You could donate, you can do charitable things. But I think it totally jades the, the perspective of earning it. Mm. You know, it jades... Uh, like your your view of how you how you spend it or what things things that you could spend money on like you things that you and I would never spend money on today if you had 100 million bucks in the bank account like you there's nothing you couldn't buy you know yeah. so i think it's a it's a tempting thing we're, we're never going to win the lottery unfortunately yeah. uh, but if we did i think the question becomes how much good can you create with that yeah. like that's an opportunity to go help other people oh for sure yeah it's 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 who you become with that thing yeah and uh when you get i think if you're given something it blurs like the value in actually getting it in the first place yeah there's an interesting interesting anecdote while we're on this thread so jim cook is the founder of sam adams boston brewing yeah. um and he's got a book a brewing the american dream great book whether in beverage or not you should you should read it it's yeah. awesome and he used to be an instructor at uh outward bound it is like a uh, it takes inner city kids into the mountains on camping, hiking, kayaking trips. And this was after he graduated from Harvard, I think. Super smart dude. Um, and one thing he realized in Outward Bound, he gives everybody their provisions, their supplies, their strings, their backpacks, everything they need for a week-long trip. And when they come back, he realizes that everybody uses all of their string. He gives them a, a, a length of string for the trip to tie up your tents, to do whatever you got to do. And it's much more string than anybody needs in a week, but they use it all, always. And then what he did, he calls it the string theory. He gave them, he reduced the size to, I don't know, maybe 10 feet of string instead of 100 feet of string. And on day one, he said, this is all the string that you get for the whole trip. Use it wisely. And when he reduced it from 100 feet to 10 feet, every single person he gave it to came back with extra. And the whole point was you can do so much more with less, right? Like I think when you have excess, it becomes wasteful. Uh, same thing with startups who raise a bunch of money. Same thing with people who win the lottery, right? Like if you're, if you're sitting on an abundance of something, you're going to use it or spend it on things that you don't need to use it on. Fuck man, that's so good. Yeah, so good. So good. Simple. It's the same as like in a very different way, but Netflix, Spotify, like it's an abundance of opportunity, like too many choices. Too many, yeah. That it's just overstimulating and like, yeah. Dude, how many times have you sit, sat there in front of Netflix scrolling for 20 yeah. minutes? Like, what am I going to watch? Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad they got like the 90 minute section on there now. Yeah. Or like 20 minute comedy like specials. So you have a, that's giving you a limit, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, that's good. Currently like valued at 500 million, right? Yeah. That, so we raised our Series C in 2021 and it was a post money valuation at 500 million. Okay. So 500 million. Yeah. At the beginning of this conversation, you said that still not uh, profitable. 
Yeah. 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 We're doing, we'll do over a hundred million in sales this year. And wow. I think the, the challenge with beverage is to get to a hundred million in sales on a product that retails for two ninety nine. we're selling to our distributors for dollar fifty, dollar seventy five. Cost us a dollar to make it. You know, you're working with thirty to forty yeah, percent yeah. gross margins, uh, and also to get to that that scale. I mean, you got to sell seventy five million bottles. That's seventy five million purchases, right? That's sometimes that's seventy five million people. We have a we have a loyal audience that buys a lot of the product, but like still, you have to convert so many consumers to hit those goals. And converting those people is no different than if you were selling automobiles for $50,000, right? You have to convince somebody to take their money to buy your product. So there's marketing dollars that go into that. There's discounts, you know. So it's it, it truly is a volume game. And, and the reason the Cokes and the Pepsis and the Anheuser-Buschs of the world are so profitable is because their scale is billions a day rather than 100 million a year, mm. you know, and, and their systems are optimized crazy. for that type of, it's crazy. Crazy. I'm sure Hugh won't mind me sharing this, but the reason that the ugly journey came to an end was the same, that thing, right? The the volume game, something happened during the pandemic where the cost of the can or something skyrocketed, something to do with Coke and how they they worked, um, yeah. which just like blew them out of the water, which was such a shame, but. Yeah, yeah. And look, that was an iconic, Ugly is an iconic brand. You know, they had a lot of momentum and at a certain point, uh, the well runs dry. You know, mm. either investors aren't willing to put forth more capital if the economy turns uh, in, in a negative way or uh, a competitor comes out and the, the category gets saturated and it wasn't saturated when you first started, you know? So there's a lot of a lot of challenges uh, that we have to overcome oh, every day. I feel that, like starting this five years ago and like having relatively good success early on, yeah. I certainly took it for granted and I didn't adapt to some of the stuff on social media and doing video now. I'm saying I'm just doing YouTube now, you might be thinking like, fuck yeah. man, you're only just doing YouTube five no, years down the line. <laughs> yeah, it's innovating, baby, you're yeah. evolving. Yeah, but I think I, I would have 100% done it sooner. Yeah. Yeah, if I could go back and do it again, I'd have started it day one. Yeah. No, I mean, those are like, you look like, uh, you look at the Nick Bears of the world, Nick yeah. was doing YouTube in 2010 before it was cool. Yeah, yeah. And got his reward for that, so. Yeah. All right, awesome, man. Mate, I love this. It's so good. Dude, it's awesome. The last thing would be before I, it's called Cedar Trunk, right? Yeah, Cedar Trunk Ranch. Yeah, so um, in fact, let's just go there now because when I asked you earlier about the relationship with your brothers, um, it's like a, a fascination with your guys' journey. Is that, you said you train together, live together, work together, like it's, it's cool to follow that along and I think people probably want you to succeed because of that. But the lifestyle that you, got, you are creating with Cedar Trunk as well, like that's, I love all that stuff, like the training, the cold uh, water exposure. You've got saunas up there and you do IV and all that sort of stuff. So um, just a bit about that. I just, I love that. That's my, my bread and butter. Yeah, man. So this is, it's interesting to bring in the brother dynamic to this too, because this is the first thing that I've pursued in a meaningful way without those two, mm. you know, and, and we've talked about it. There's definitely been some tension, them feeling not included or excluded from, from something that I was doing. And at the end of the day, like, it's all things that I'm passionate about, right? Like my brothers don't care about owning cattle or shooting arrows or hunting or any of those things. Like that's sort of the the path that interested me. You know, that's something that my dad was into. And and I think growing up, yeah, every firstborn, you, I'm sure you look up to your dad in a, a million different ways or, or, or not. But like, yeah. I that is what grabbed a hold of me. Those are the, the, the kids I hung out with was that sort of outdoorsy lifestyle. 
Um, so owning a ranch is not really something that was ever a part of Jake's plans or Jordan's plans, really my plans either, but we got this opportunity. We took advantage of it. And, and now it's, now that it's sort of built out and established, it's something that we all enjoy together. You know, what Jake and I were up there on Friday playing pickleball. We got in the sauna and the cold tub. Yeah, man. And, and, uh, it's one of those things that Devin and I are, like I said, 50, 50 partners, but we're so grateful to have had this opportunity. We, we bought it in 2021. We built it in 2022, and now we've been hosting events there. And it was kind of as if you had a blank canvas to build something that has everything you want on it. You know, indoor pickleball, indoor basketball, saunas, cold plunges, pool, hot tub, like sand volleyball court. Just And it was all relatively affordable. You know, it's not like we built a, a five-star resort or anything like that. It's a, it's a tin metal building like this, and, mm. and it's nothing fancy, but it's got everything we want in a place like that. So, like, we kind of built this this playground for adults. You know, it's been, it's been awesome. Uh, it looks amazing, man. I'd love to try and sync one of my trips back here with one of the weekends you do the events. Like, oh, dude. I mean, next time you guys are here, we'll go up there for sure. Yeah, yeah. I love that, man. Like, uh, I saw you had like Steve Weatherford went up there who I yep. had on the podcast a few years ago. Nice. Yeah, it looks like you've got such a great group up there. So Yeah, it's a good, it's good crew, man. And it attracts all kinds of like-minded people. Um, I'm excited to see what we, what we turn it into and how it continues to evolve. You know, it's still early on in the mm-hmm. days up there. But we do super coffee retreats, you know, corporate retreats, weddings, things like that are probably awesome. next, yeah. Yeah, awesome, man. So you said it was, was it that those were your dad's passions and you, that's why you went down that road or? Yeah, I mean, growing up, my, my the house that my dad grew up in, my grandmother still lives in, it's got acres and acres of forest in the backyard and we'd, we'd go hiking and we'd shoot squirrels and we'd jump off cliffs into the quarry, you know, yeah. just being outdoors. I loved the camping. I loved kind of exploring and adventures and surviving and things like that. And this piece of property, it's 35 minutes from downtown Austin is caves and live springs and hills and rocks. And it's like, it makes me feel like a kid again. You know, yeah. it's, it's cool. Man, it's so important to have that. So totally. important to have that, especially today, like with tech and everything else. But the guys are all right with you doing that venture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they definitely, we've, we've had the conversation of like, why, why didn't we talk about this, right? Why didn't you include us in this? And I'll show them. I'll show them the text messages of 2020, 2021. I was like, guys, I'm investing in a ranch. Do you want to? And they're like, don't do that. Put it in Tesla, put it in Facebook, <laughs> you know? And, and uh, so I think once, when an idea becomes reality, it's a lot easier to see it, you know, rather than like a sketch on paper. It's, it was tough to... I think if I asked them to get involved in it now, they wouldn't a heartbeat. But buying a ranch with cows and donkeys is like, wasn't an appealing thing hmm. for them. Yeah. It's like uh, the Jackson 5 when Michael Jackson went off on his own and did off the wall. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That worked out pretty good for him. <laughs> yeah. You can have that uh, metaphor. <laughs> man, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Dude, Mark, thanks for coming, man. Thanks for, I'm glad this worked out. Me Welcome too, to mate. Texas. Enjoy the rest of your week. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll get up in the cold. We'll do the next one from the cold tub at the ranch. Man, that would be a dream. I Let's love do that. it. All right. Thanks Dude, so much, brother. Appreciate you, Cheers. brother. Thank you. You have reached your destination. Hey, it's Mark Whittle. Thanks so much for watching or listening. It's so great to have you a part of the Take Flight movement. Subscribe to the podcast on all platforms, video and audio, to be the first to see new episodes and new conversations with the greatest minds in the world. Follow me at markwhittle underscore TF on all social platforms and visit takeflightworld.com to join our growing community of hustlers, performers and go-getters. I can't wait to see you next time. Until then, Stay positive, stay motivated, and of course, take flight.